Whether you've overdone it at the gym, at the dinner table, or on the couch, AHM Health Insurance have a cover for you. Join direct at ahm.com.au. SEN America, this is the SEN MLB Podcast. And welcome to SEN Baseball, another big week of Major League Baseball underway. Season now at around the 45 to 50 game mark. Of course, the attention will start looking at the All-Star game coming up soon. The weather here is getting cold, the weather over there is getting hot. Before we get to the MLB talk, of course, behind the mic joining me, as always, former Detroit Tiger, Russell Spear. Good morning. How are you, mate? Wonderful. Got a little Tigers theme going on today. You'll get to hear that as we go along. Also joining us on mic number two is the manager of the Essendon Baseball Club, Pete Giles. Pete, welcome. Thank you, Freda. Welcome, Russell. Good to see you. Uh, yes, is he good one, right? Is he, oh, no, Sorry, has he just left the studio? Is he? Oh, <laughs> fell asleep. Once a big leaguer, always a big leaguer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did. He nodded off. He was actually just nodded off there for a second. But uh, look, we're going to get into some standings as it starts uh, this particular week. Of course, the the best in the American League, uh, Boston Red Sox, at twenty nine and eighteen, traveling along nicely there. Got a couple of topics we're going to raise about Boston in a moment's time. Seattle are doing nicely too. Little quiet achievers there at 28 and 18. Uh, the Cubs as always doing nicely. 31 and 14 is their win-loss right now. San Francisco Giants also travelling nicely. They had a 13 win out of 14 games uh, just this week. They're at 30 and 19. The worst records of course in the American League, the Twins at 12 and 34, stinking it up. Houston and Oakland are at 20 wins and 28 losses. And in the National League, the Braves still struggling away at 12 and 34. And the Reds, Cincinnati Reds, are at 15 and 32. Uh, the Boston Red Sox boys traveling along nicely. And a, a question I want to pose right from the start is I have been paying attention due to having doing this show, and I want both your opinions on this particular one. The shining light out of the Boston Red Sox, the face of the organisation, is David Ortiz. Now, David Ortiz has, at the start of the year, I'm not sure if he waited into the season or before the season actually started, but he announced that this was going to be his swan song. This season was going to be his last he has done nothing but crush the baseball so far this season. As I said, about we're at, at about the 45-game mark. Should the Boston Red Sox try and talk David Ortiz into going around again, considering the way he's been hitting the ball this year? Well, Peter, I think you being the uh, resident manager here, that's probably one for you. Well, you, you look, I'm looking at the standings of all the leagues there, and you've got to say to yourself, what does a bloke like David Ortiz bring to a table? I mean, obviously, his, his stats say that he's obviously one of the, the key elements of the Boston Red Sox. So you've got to weigh up. Does his signing, or does his announcement that he's leaving, does that pose a bit of a, a sour taste in fans' mouths where they come to games knowing that this could be the last time they see him? Yeah. And then mid-season they say he's going around again. 
So I mean, there's there's that part of it. But if I'm a if I'm a manager and I see a, a man with those sort of numbers, and I think they're it's baseball's a, is a sport where I think age is irrelevant. I think they look at what do you produce, and regardless of what age you are, if you're still producing, to me is valuable. It's not even so much what would Boston do, but I'm looking at sides that are at the lower end of the ladder. If I'm looking at the Yankees, I'm looking at Detroit, I'm looking at teams that are big money spenders that are really been floundering. I say if if he's still his body's capable, I say he's a must because it, it, it's not just what he brings to the table; it's it's the merchandise. I was just going to raise. I was thinking front office for a second there, thinking, hey, what about uniform tops? The young kids that want to be wearing David Ortiz's number have his name on their back. You know, the, there's also that marketing component has to come into play. No doubt. I mean, I mean, w- without even knowing what the man's like, if, if his body's healthy, you know what? Um, I would dare say there's a lot of teams that's that sit at the lower half, the ladder that says, you know what? We need a, a marquee person to get crowds back into the stadiums again. And if he's still producing for the ladder leading, you know, Boston Red Sox, I'd say as a manager, go and get him. What about his $20 million a year salary? Does that come into the front office component? There, there's no doubt, I would imagine, money always comes has to come into the conversation. But uh, just using that same sort of discussion just there with Pete, I'm wondering if it's worth 20 mil because of the extra three to 5,000 people that are coming through the gates to see Ortiz, the, the extra couple of hundred uniform tops that you're selling. Uh, things like that, and if you sort of balance it out over a over an actual season, I'm wondering if you know he might be costing us twenty million bucks, but we're making fifteen in merchandise and sales, and just on on the back of that, we'll bring in Clubby in on this one, who is a mad mad Boston fan. So, as a fan's perspective, do you think? the Boston Red Sox should, should try and talk Ortiz in a going round again. This is a resounding no. We're looking at a guy who, yes, he's no. had a, an absolute resounding no. We're, wow. look, we're no. looking at a guy who has had a great impact in the time he has been in Boston. He has become one of the legends of the franchise. He's got an OBP of over 350 every year since two, 2009. He hasn't hit above 300 since the 2013 season where they went on to win the World Series. Is, but, is he there to hit 300, though? That's... He, he's there to drive in runs. And that's what he's doing ah. at the moment, and he's doing that very well. However, you talk about merchandise, you talk about uh, fans. The Red Sox had a 600-plus home game sellout streak from, I believe, 2006 till 2010. So fans yeah. are going, and they're going regardless of whether he's here. 2009, 2010, the team was awful. I went to a game in 2010, first experience at Fenway. There might have been two regulars in the lineup. Yeah. Cruel danger that season, but fans still went every day. Red Sox fans will go to Fenway Park regardless of who he's playing. I personally, it's great. I love watching him play. But he made the announcement November last year. It's best for the future of the franchise to move on, to find someone that can replace him. Say we do keep him there next year. We find ourselves in a hole where we can't get a good DH to replace him. We're down a good spot in the lineup. We can go out at the end of this year. We can potentially get a very good free agent. We may not have that opportunity next year with a weekend free agent class. Right. He speaks a lot of sense, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, the, see, now I've swung. I've swung the other way. Mm. Go on, Russ. I, I agree with both of you. I, I think that... Uh, I know <laughs> Not allowed to happen. Not allowed to happen I'm here. A, I'm a fence-sitter on this one. But I do agree. I think that the 
the the swan song, the end, uh, the, you know, the last season circus that tends to go on. Um, you make that announcement, you got to you got to deal with that. Yeah. But there's a the baseball uh, element of this as a manager and as a franchise. So, well, this is the hottest guy we've got. Um, maybe he's relaxed a little bit and said, well, this is the last year I have. I'm going to go out here with a bang. This is yeah. great. But uh, you know he's putting up great numbers. He's he is like you said he he is there to, to drive in runs and he's doing that better than anybody. Yeah. Um. I'd want him to play, Pete. You know, as a manager and as as a as a competitive unit, I want the best players out there. And if he's competing better than anybody else on my team, I want him. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if it can be as simple as you you put a couple of accountants over in the corner and just say crunch some numbers, right? You 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 weigh up the runs that he drives in. If he gives you forty home runs and drives in 90, you know, do you balance that up to uh, uniform sales and yeah. people coming through the gate? And it's, it, I wonder if it comes down to be as cut and dry as that, where you just weigh up the numbers and see financially where, whether it helps your ball club or not. Interesting topic. Yeah, Clubby. I just want to pull out some more stats. In his last 162 games, he's got a slash line of 296, 381, 618, 54 doubles, one triple, and 45 home runs with 141 RBIs. And no player in history has had more doubles and home runs in a season than Ortiz has ever had over his last 162 games. But I go back to what Russ said about you've announced your farewell to it, you're going to do it, you do it properly, you don't renege on that. And I think that Major League Baseball in particular is getting to a point where guys are announcing their farewell tour and that overshadows the entire season. You've got a, a Red Sox club who look like they might be better than everyone thought they were going to be. But the story is still David Ortiz, not, oh, we've got one starting pitcher in the rotation, but somehow we've already found nearly 30 wins this season. Uh, joined an exclusive club, did Ortiz, this uh, particular week. Oh, no, last week it was actually. 500 home runs and 600 doubles with two other guys. Let's see if you guys, the baseball geniuses in the room, could you think of the other big sluggers that you've ever known in baseball. You've got to be able to get this. Any good, Peter? One would be Barry Bonds, surely. Has to be, number one. And who did he pass? Sammy Sosa or Hank Aaron? Hank Aaron. Hank Aaron. Hank Aaron and Barry Bonds. He joined that exclusive club, but I'm not sure, and I'll just pose this at you here, Clubby, I'm not sure if it actually sinks in. The numbers that you just read out over a 162-game season <laughs> is phenomenal. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. it is. You're t- look at, you're taking that out of the team. Yeah. I mean, Johnny Farnham retired a thousand <laughs> times. Does anybody care? Me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I'll talk to you after the show, Russ, about that. You, you really, it, and I'm just sort of, it's a really careful decision that needs to be made because you've somehow got to fill, make up those numbers by taking Ortiz away. Let's play hypotheticals. He does come back next year and he hits 240. And 20 home runs Isn't that and the luck knocks of the draw? in 50. Yeah. It is. With every but kid that we, ever signs. Are we going to look at a guy who we bring back for an extra year at 41 who probably won't be able to replicate what he's doing now? A large reason he's doing what he's doing now is because he knows this is it. He wants to go out in style. Yeah. That's the adrenaline behind this season is what is driving these numbers. So oh. next year would be anticlimactic. Do we want to risk getting a guy in who's not going to produce when we could get someone else in who is going to produce more than what Ortiz would produce next year? Firstly, I'd say tough to find a bloke who's going to produce more than what he's producing. Absolutely. But my, my, I'd also pose the question that Derek Jeter went through a similar scenario. 
um, and and called it a day. I would still say on top of his game. Like yeah, he, he yeah. was absolutely on top of his game and, and pulled the pin, said he was going to pull the pin, pull the pin. You don't see him anymore. Yeah. Um, and is trying the- to buy a baseball team, actually. Is he? He wants to get into ownership now of baseball. Yep, same as Cal Ripken Jr. And uh, isn't that something special for athletes to be able to go out on top at your absolute peak and go, I went out a champion. I went out as people know me for what I did, not I went out a couple of years too late and the legacy that I've left behind because of the memory of my last few seasons isn't what it should be. very careful about what you say, a couple of years too late. Look at the last 162, mate. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Unbelievable. Absolutely. And if he goes out on top of his game, he's better than potentially waiting another year and going out lower. Yeah, uh, you go on, Pete. Yeah, Clubby, just tell, I wasn't privy to it, but what was his announcement when he did retire? Did he say he's, this is it because of certain reasons? So he made the announcement Thanksgiving weekend last year, and he actually made the announcement through Derek Jeter's website, the Players' Tribune, which has become very successful in the time since it started. And a lot of the reason was, I'm getting on, my kids are growing up, I feel the time is right. And I think that he's made the decision for the right reasons. It's not and I've lost a love for the game. It's just I feel like now's the right time to do this. Well, I mean, obviously there's always the two sides. There's the commercial side of uh, retirement, and there's obviously the business side. You would think, though, if you're an opposition manager and, and someone's on the market, you would look at him. But, you know, hearing what that was about, then you've got to respect that, you know, at 41, it is a hell of a way to go well, out. The Red Sox opened the season against Cleveland this year, and Cleveland are now managed by Terry Francona, who was former Red Sox manager. And Francona was asked about Ortiz's retirement after the series, and he said, in all honesty, I wish he'd done it last year. Only because Ortiz showed early signs of what he's gone on to do this year so far, so opposition managers are looking at him now going, geez, we can't wait for this bloke to retire. And I, everyone's got their price, but I don't think anyone's willing to pay the price that Ortiz would ask to get him in a different uniform. And, and he seems to be Mr. Boston now. I don't, I think right now, he is, that's what I mean. I said yeah. at the start there, the face of Boston. Yeah. Anytime Boston is mentioned... Uh, it's David Ortiz, what he did first, and then uh, maybe Pedroia, what he did today as well. But uh, look, boys, we've got to move on. Also, just some other Boston news from this week. The streak ended yesterday. Jackie Bradley Jr. had a 29-game hit streak going, and that ended at 29. Who holds the hit streak record? Surely you guys know this one. Um, <laughs> Mickey Mantle. This is, <laughs> folks. Uh, this is two baseball experts that we uh, have. It. I'm telling you, they know everything. The great Joe DiMaggio at 56, of course. So Jackie Bradley Jr. got just over the halfway mark. Of uh, will will that record ever be broken? The Joe DiMaggio 56 game hit streak when he was actually Dayton, Maryland. I think that's when he was on a roll. (laughs) (laughs) There is not a chance this gets broken. And I think for two reasons. One, I believe the next best hitting streak is 44. So we're looking at over. We're looking at over 10% difference. No, Pete Rose is third. Someone in the late 1890s. Wee, Wee Willie Keeler. That's his name. Second place, Pete Rose. So we're looking at over a ten percent gap between first and second. And secondly, Jackie Bradley Jr. hits for twenty nine games, which is even five games short of the Red Sox all time hitting streak. And a twenty nine game hit streak, which is just over fifty percent of the way there, is lauded as being fantastic, which it is. But he's still so far away from getting to fifty six. It was it was unrealistic that he was going to get there. There had to be a game in there somewhere where he wasn't going to pick up a hit. And it's just so far above 
what anyone's ever seen, that it's completely unlikely he'll ever get there. And one of the other issues is, of course, as soon as he got over the halfway mark, MLB started showing every at-bat live. So imagine getting around the 40 mark, the pressure that would be on him, every media outlet in the country would be hassling him for um, chats and things like that. But another one that also happened this week was the retirement of Wade Boggs's number in Boston, the great number 26, Chicken Man. He's Chicken Man, Pete. Did you know he's Chicken Man? I did know he was Chicken Man. But why now? I mean, I, I think it's fantastic, but why now do they retire it? That, that to me, is an interesting one. Um, maybe because Big Horse was there. The, the Mr. 3000, I have that sort of echoes in my head where where he was, uh, they were going to retire his number, Mr. 3000, and he just wanted to get some fans back to the game. I'm not sure whether Boston's numbers have been terrific. Yes, David Ortiz has been hitting the ball well and all that sort of stuff, but they they need to come round to these sorts of things. At times, I can't help but think it's a fan-driven thing. They want fans to come back to the game. Fans are unhappy because during the ceremony, he had one of his Yankees World Series rings on. That's just... <laughs> and that's, that's a non-story as far as I'm concerned. Not important. It's but it's interesting to talk about story. fans. Do you, you walk into Boston? There's a Seinfeld episode. You go to an Angels game with an Orioles hat on and people lose their marbles. You've got to understand the market you're sitting in. Do you, I would absolutely believe that Wade Boggs did that on purpose. Absolutely. Just to cause some controversy. Yep. So you've got to understand the person that you're dealing with. I'm sure these things are all premeditated. You know, this would have been in place last year. I'm tipping that they'll retire Wade Boggs' jersey. But with the Ortiz thing coming up and the momentum that that's gathered, I, I would think you'd put this thing on ice for a little bit, maybe you next year. Think, yeah, you, know? you would think. Um, but again, you know, wh- how it's driven, I'm not too sure. Why, why Chicken Man, Pete? You know, why Chicken Man? Um, because the story I heard was on a flight from Boston to New York, he devoured, I believe, 15 or 16 chickens. He uh, Partly, yes, he's a chicken freak, but he used to, he had a favourite restaurant that would fly his chicken to wherever he was playing in the country uh-uh. for him to eat. So he's hashtag chicken man. The story I also heard that George Brett was a, a chicken fanatic as well on flights. That's all he used to eat was chickens. Yeah, right. You have to catch them first. Oh, well. Imagine that, the old Rocky thing on an aeroplane, chasing chickens around the field. Unbelievable. We're going to move on, lads. We've still got some more. And just talking age and all that sort, Ichiro Suzuki, still going around at 42 years of age with the Miami Marlins now, used in a sort of a platoon role, a bit of a backup. The guy who he was platooning with got injured earlier this week, and uh, Ichiro Suzuki got to play a couple of regular games, went four for four in both of these particular games, approaching that elusive 3,000 hit mark. I'm pretty sure he's about 40 away, should get there this season. Where do you think a guy like Ichiro Suzuki sits in the great hitters of all time that we've seen, 3,000? In total numbers, I think he got around 1,200 in... NPB in the Japanese major leagues before he even came across to major leagues and had such a successful time with Seattle. Uh, but where do you think he might sit in the in the legacy of of great hitters? I think this guy's um, got to be up there with with the greatest of all time. Don't you? At forty two, um, now platooning a little bit, which just means he doesn't play as much. Maybe that's a um, 
maybe that's a, a, a situation that the manager said, well, let's let's just work him through this year and, and make sure that we get him to the end. Maybe maybe that's an age thing. But yeah. um, as an outfielder, he's he's got to have been one of the best of all time. As a hitter, he's got to have been one of the best of all time. Um, at 42, um, still doing amazing things. So I I don't see an end to this bloke. Like you said, Frida, you know, this guy had a, had, a, had an absolute career in Japan before going to America, before yeah. embarking on, on, on the major league journey. And, and he's about to, you know, he surpassed a lot of greats already. And yeah. he's about to, um, you know, if he gets to 3,000, he's going to be in that in that uh, category of, you know, almost untouchables. Holds the uh, season hits record at uh, 262, I think it is. Stolen bases? Could you give me something on that? I, I know I, I'm not much of a numbers man. Clubby's, clubby will get onto that um, just while we're talking about, but phenomenal. I think he won around seven or eight hit, hitting titles in the Japan Major Leagues before he even came across to to um, Major League Baseball. And I, I have um, had chats with... Um, Ryan Roland Smith, who was yep. a teammate of his, they yep. went to his wedding, and he said the most professional baseballer he's ever seen. He can speak English, but acts like he can't sometimes when it suits him. Um, but can hit home runs when he wants to, but prefers to just go four for four, five for five, rack and line drives around the the path. And on the stolen bases thing, we've been onto that. Yeah, five hundred. So he's at 500, 3,000 hits, you That's know. That's amazing. Very, very rare air. Tell me, is there any other sport that would recruit a 42-year-old man to play at the top level? Could well, you... see, now we're just talking with Ortiz, the commercial mm. side of things. Correct. I just wonder whether Miami might have taken this 42-year-old on the cusp of getting to the 3,000 mark and wanting to use that as a marketing ploy to get some Miami fans to come along you know, ticket sales to well, come and watch so, this great hitter. Yeah, or even, I mean, what does he do to Japanese television? Yeah. You know, that's the market you would say that's incredible. Oh, he's God, he's God like in Japan. There it's was, amazing. there was a, I've heard um, scouts talk about there's some interesting comments made. Um, it's just going to be in reference to Ichiro Suzuki, but Matsuzaka, who initially the yeah. bidding for the big pitcher to come across, Boston. Ended up bidding fifty million, then signed him to a fifty million dollar contract. So they spent, in effect, a hundred million dollars to get Matsuzaka into a Boston uniform. They had already sold the TV rights back to Asia for two hundred million. Wow! So in Suzuki's case, always behind him in the outfield was a lot of Asian. Toyotas and, and Asian companies. So every time the camera would sit on him, they were getting effectively, not free publicity because they were paying for it, but you were getting that Asian market that is massive and and in the dollar, dollar side of things, just huge. Well, let me pose this question to you guys. You've just been speaking to Warwick Sapold and Brad Thomas. You're a minor league player, an outfielder for Miami, and all of a sudden you hear they just sign a 42-year-old man to take your spot or to, to prevent a roadblock. Are you happy with that? Uh, I, I would be because I'm 53. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'd be dirty, but if his name's Ichiro Suzuki, I'd, I'd, you'd have to cop that. I, I'd love to have. I'd love to play with him just to yeah. watch this guy go around. And as I say, this week, a couple of times he went four for four and and uh, 40 hits away from uh, that magical 3,000 mark. We've got to move on. There's a, another one I've got to touch on here. This is also a very Tigers themed day today you'll hear as we go along but Francisco Rodriguez their closer for 
um, the Detroit Tigers. He touched 400 saves this week. Let's just take a listen to some audio. Here's the one-two. Swing and a miss. Struck him out. Save number 400 for Francisco Rodriguez. Awfully special. A lot of history here at the ballpark this week. Frankie gets it done. The sixth player in Major League history with 400 or more saves. Our resident pitcher here, of course, Russell Spear, former Detroit Tiger. The the saves side of baseball now really has become a specialty. Have we flipped over an era where guys are closers right from the start of their pro career in the minor leagues and just close all the way? Are we there yet? Or will that never be the case? They'll always be a, a starter and maybe slip into that closing role. No, I think even in the minor leagues, uh, most clubs have a, a designated closer as such. And obviously in the minor leagues, those guys can tend to flip around a little bit more depending on uh, on uh, how well somebody's doing in, in those situations. But closing is a real mindset game. You know, those guys, are uh, they tend to be pretty bulletproof. They are just, uh, give me the ball in a close situation, let me go get it done. So um, if, if you get an opportunity in the minor leagues to be a closer and you're six Successful at it, you're sticking there. You stick at it, yeah. Tell me, Russell, you said a mindset point of view. When does a closer know that today's the day he's coming in? Is it a day by day or is it an inning by inning scenario? Yeah, look, closers tend to be the the one guy out of the bullpen that that need to be prepared to go every day. Uh, bullpen guys tend to have, you know, you go through stretch during the day and, and the coach will come up to you and you've, if you've had a couple of outings in the row, say you've got a day off, you know, and you generally know that you can have a, you'll have a day off. Um, it's it's pretty well planned that way. Uh, as a closer, um, you're in. If the game's, you know, within three runs and you're in that last inning, um, they'll use you because that's your designated role, yeah. Uh, guys, look, we're going to go to uh, a short break, but coming up after the break, we're going to go to going to get some Houston Astros information. We're going to speak with Brian McTaggart, who's a beat writer for the Astros for MLB.com. Stick with us. You're on SEN Baseball. Baseball is the largest spectator sport in the world. In 2015 alone, over 73 million people attended professional games in the United States, with 65 million people playing in over 100 countries around the world. Baseball is the world's second largest participation sport. Baseball is truly a game that everyone can enjoy. It's free to try and cheap to play, but most importantly, it's fun for all. From t-ball and little league to seniors and masters, for the young and the young at heart, Baseball is the perfect game for boys and girls and mums and dads too. With over 105 local clubs in Victoria, get started by going to www.baseballvictoria.com.au to see how you can get involved today. And welcome back to SEN Baseball. We're now going to the States and we're going to throw a soft eye across the Houston Astros. We've got... The Houston Astros beat writer since 2004 on the line, Brian McTaggart. Brian, how are you, mate? I'm doing well. How are you? Great, mate. Thanks very much for joining us uh, this morning. Now, just, uh, of course, the Astros just had a tremendous series against the Baltimore Orioles, sweeping them in three games, the first three-game sweep they've had this year. Must have been a tremendous series to look at considering the pitching. We'll get to the, the exact numbers in a moment, but the, the pitching that the Astros were able to put up over the last few days must have been really exciting to look at. 
Yeah, it was really good. Uh, not only the starters, but uh, especially the relievers. The, the first game of the series went 13 innings, so the relievers pitched seven and a third innings of uh, scoreless baseball and then uh, came back and just kept it up over the, the final two games. And the starters the starters pitched well, didn't necessarily go deep into the games, but um, the relievers really did a nice job, and a couple of them were working the third game, uh, having pitched in the previous two. So they were a little bit tired, and they were going on fumes a little bit, but they were able to get the job done. Brian, the team are currently 20-28 and 28 and nine games behind the Mariners in the AL West. Is there a sense that this series could be the one that sort of turns the corner for the team and sees them get back to the form they had last year? Yeah, I think there is. Um, you know, that, that series, and they, they just came off getting swept by the Rangers, so um, they ended up, they're 3-3 they're three and three in their last six games against two really good teams, so um, the schedule does ease up for them a little bit, so that that's going to be a big key, but um, yeah, they're doing a lot of things that they wish they could have done a little earlier in the season. You know, I mentioned the, the bullpen and the pitching. Um, you know, they struck out 52 batters in the three-game series, which was a major league record, but um, they started to get some offensive production at third base from Luis Valbuena, which they haven't had. Um, they're still not getting a lot out of first base and center field, but the, with the way the pitching's coming around, that's going to give you a shot. Now they're going to have to get Dallas Keuchel, the Cy Young winner, going because uh, he's been their worst starting pitcher so far, and they really counted on him on being the best. But it's going to be an important week or two here, see if they can build off what they did against the Orioles for sure. Is uh, with the the Astros, um, Xavier just mentioned you, the the win loss at this stage. Is it just a matter of continually juggling the lineup until you find that perfect mix? I'm doing air quotes here. Perfect is never never really achievable. But uh, is it is it just juggling the lineup and the defensive lineup until you can find that perfect mix to get on a roll and start winning back to back series? Well, I don't know. I don't know what the personnel they have, if there's a lot of juggling they can do. They just have some spots in the lineup that, that haven't hit all year um, that are going to just have to really get it turned around. The first four on the lineup are, are pretty set, you know, with Altuve, even though he's slumping. Um, and, and George Springer had two home runs yesterday. And Carlos Correa, of course, the rookie of the year, not playing up to the level he did last year, but still having a pretty good year. And then Colby Rasmus leads him in RBIs. And but after that, um, they have a lot of easy outs in the lineup, and, and some of those guys are, are going to have to get hot. Evan Gaddis has come back and started to swing the bat pretty well, but um, third base, uh, Luis Valbuena hasn't done much, although he's homered in a couple of consecutive, I guess three consecutive games now. First base, really not getting anything out of Tyler White after a hot start. Jason Castro doesn't give you a lot offensively. Catcher, uh, Carlos Gomez is in the minors, so center field remains a mystery. Until they get some of these guys are a couple of those positions going. I don't think there's a whole lot they can do lineup wise as far as juggling. They just some of these some of these players just just need to get going. That they haven't swung the bats well all year. You've been covering the AL West now for a few years, obviously since the Astros moved over from the National League. This year, in particular, with the Mariners having such a hot start and Texas hot on their heels, the Angels have been a bit hot and cold. What have you noticed as someone who sees that division every day? Do you see a bit of a changing of the guard? Well, yeah, I think so. I, I uh, you know, everyone I picked either the Rangers or Astros pretty much. A few people picked the Mariners, but they had such roster overturn, it was hard to really predict how good they were going to be. But um, certainly the Astros being in last place, tied with the Oakland A's, has caught a lot of people by surprise. Um, 
And the Rangers are doing, I think, what people thought they would do, and they're going to get you Darvish back here, I think, this weekend for his first start. So having him in the rotation is really going to be a boost to them. But it's a pretty competitive division up and down. I mean, Oakland, uh, even though they have the same record as the Astros, they, they, uh, they've, they've surprised some teams. They just had a sweep last week of, of the White Sox, I believe. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's up and down. It's a tough division, and you have to, you have to come to play every day. And, and one of the things the Astros haven't done well is play well within the division. You know, the Rangers have beat them all six times they've played. They had the, the Angels coming up this weekend, so it's the first time they faced them, and they really need to make some hay in the division more than anything if they want to try to get back on this race. AJ Hinch, the manager of the team. I'm always interested. I have managed a couple of teams out here in Australia, not to the same level we're talking about here, of course. But I'm always interested with AJ Hinch. What sort of attributes does he bring to the team, and what, what do you see as his strengths with this particular Astros lineup you got now? Well, he, he has a lot of strengths, and I think number one is he's. Uh, he, I think the players come to the ballpark knowing what to expect from him every day. He's he's not a highly volatile guy. He's very even keeled, day to day. He's the same, win or lose. That's not to say that uh, when he loses, he doesn't get in a bad mood or um, you know doesn't doesn't get onto the guys behind closed doors. But very even keeled. If if you go out there and you're professional and you play hard, you can have no problem playing for AJ Hinch. He demands smart baseball. He demands you to run hard all the time, know what to do with the ball, um, just play clean baseball and be a team player. If you're not doing that, he, you know, he doesn't have much use for you. And he's, uh, he's a good communicator. He has sort of this uh, door-open policy where he tells the players from day one, here's where you stand with the team, here's what you have to do to make the team. Um, you're going to play every day, but if you don't perform, this could be the consequences and he's only 41 years old, 41, 42, so he's not that far removed from playing. He's only a little bit older than a couple of the older players on the team. So he knows how hard the game is and, and what some of these guys are going through. But, you know, he's, uh, he's a very capable manager. Uh, just finished second in manager of the year last year. And, uh, you know, I, I still have faith if, if they can get it turned around, Hinch, Hinch can be the guy to do it. You mentioned George Springer briefly before. You've been covering the Astros for more than a decade. He's really come into the side and, and lit a bit of a flare. How do you see him and his career progressing compared to some of the other players you've seen come through for the Astros? Yeah, he's one of the most dynamic players we've seen come up, obviously. Um, he's you know He hasn't put up the, the numbers quite like I thought he would, considering what he did in the minor leagues. He had a, a season in the minor leagues where he he hit 40 homers and stole 40 bases. I don't think he, that was a triple A too, I believe. I don't think he's going to do that at the major league level. Yeah, he tends to overswing at times, times and tries to hit the ball too hard, but he's one of the most gifted athletic players I've ever seen. I mean, he can really, he can really run in the outfield, uh, makes, makes great catches once or twice a week. He's a little bit hit or miss offensively. One thing that, that really benefits him is he gets a lot of walks, especially for a guy with some power. He's got 11 home runs, but I think his on-base percentage uh, is about 364, which is pretty good um, for a guy with that kind of power. So he, I wouldn't call him a five-tool player, but he's got five five tools. A couple of them are very, very good. You know, he needs to maybe hit for average a little bit higher, but um, you know, he's got a chance if he stays in Houston to go down as, as one of their better outfielders they have. I know uh, I've talked to some people kind of comparing him a little bit to Hunter Pence when he was here earlier in his career. 
And so far, you know, I don't know if he's going to have the kind of career Pence has had, but um, he's got more ability, more athleticism than, Pen- than Pence. And, and he's only played about 200 games in the major leagues. So he's, he's still, even though he's 26, 27, he's still a relatively young player um, com- compared to some, some of the other guys who have a, a lot more games under their belt. You mentioned uh, earlier there, you mentioned Korea, the, the, um, your shortstop there is not having as good a year this year as previously. Do you think the other teams are scouting him better now, or is he just not swinging the bat well? Well, it's probably a little bit of both. You know, he played 99 games last year, so every, there's, a, there's a good book on him now, and, and they're making adjustments on how to pitch him, and his strikeouts are starting to pile up a little bit, and Especially in the last couple of weeks, he's really been in, in quite the funk. And, um, but he, he's so talented. He has such natural gifted tools that, you know, you have to play him and trust that he's going to work through the slump. And, you know, a slumping Carlos Correa is still a pretty dangerous player in your lineup. And I still think at the end of the day, he's going to have some, some pretty good numbers. You know, this is his first full season in the big leagues. Um, it, as you know, it's quite the grind to play every day and all the travel, especially going from Houston to the, to the West Coast all the time in the division. So he's exposed to some things at 21 years old still that, that most, most players don't experience at this age. And he's, he's hitting third in a lineup for a team expected to make a playoff, and there's a lot of expectations and pressure on him. And, you know, I think he's, he's smart enough and strong enough to handle all that stuff. But um, right now it's a work in progress. And, and you know, if they're going to turn it around, they're going to need more out of Carlos Correa as well. I want to go from talking about the team to talking about your experiences with the team briefly. We know that for players, the ultimate goal is to play in a World Series, but for a journalist, for the team to make a World Series in the second year that you'd been covering them, can you tell us what that experience was like for you personally? Well, it's sort of a, it's sort of a whirlwind. I mean, once, uh, you know, if your team's in contention and you're covering them, once you hit about mid-September, you're pretty much working every day until they're out, and it can get really tough. And I know, I know when they hit the playoffs in 2005, they, they didn't clinch a playoff spot to the final day of the season. So you don't know where you're going to be the next day. So they clinch a playoff spot in the final day. And then, you know, the next day you're, you're flying to Atlanta where, you know, you really didn't expect to be. And you, you work in that series, fly back a couple of times between Atlanta to Houston and they pull out a win there. And then you book a flight to the next city. It's St. Louis. So it's an early morning flight to get to the ballpark for the workout that day. And, you're back and forth between St. Louis and, you know, you pack your suitcase for, for 10 days. You don't know if you'll get a chance to come home or not. And it's, uh, you know, you live on adrenaline. You live on the thrill of, of covering the playoffs and the World Series. But when it's over, uh, boy, you're tired and you need, you need a break and, and exhale a little bit. And in baseball now, there's really no off season. There's always something to write about. But playoffs are a lot of fun, but they're a lot of work. And, you know, I, I tip my hat to, to the guys like uh, Chris Half, my colleague who covers the Giants, and they've won three World Series in the last six years. And I, I tip my hat to those guys because that is tough on the players. It's, it's tough on the reporters as well. Uh, Brian, last one from me, mate, just before we wrap it up. I'm interested in the um, – I'm not even sure what it's called, but the, there's the hill in center field there at, at the Astros' home ground. There was a report that, uh, firstly, I'm not sure why it was put there in the first place, but I did read a report that they were going to remove that hill out there in Centerfield. Can you just talk us through why it was put there in the first place and what the plans are for it in the future? Yeah, sure. When they were designing the ballpark uh, in you know the late 90s, they 
they wanted something a little unique and a little different. And, and one of the longtime executives of the club, Hal Smith, uh, said, hey, why don't we put a hill out there? I, I think there were some old ballparks uh, in Crosley Field in Cincinnati years ago had, had a hill in center field. There's uh, another ballpark that had a, uh, a foul pole in fair play. So they did both of those things, and it sort of gave them a little bit of a unique thing that you don't see in any other ballpark. And and uh, it's sort of been a, a thing that fans either love or hate. It's, it's, it's kind of a polarizing thing among fans in Houston. Some love the hill, some hate it. Uh, same with the players. Uh, you know, the pitchers love it because it's 436 feet, so they can give up a lot of loud outs. The, the hitters hate it because they can hit the ball 430 feet and, and not get a home run. But the new ownership made a decision a year ago to, to get rid of the hill, and they were going to bring the fences in and utilize that the, the extra space they have beyond the wall for, for more fan-friendly initiatives. But with the Astros making the playoffs, I think it caught them off guard a little bit, and they determined they wouldn't have enough time to make the changes and the remodeling. So they shelved it for a year, but I, I think all things are go to to remove the hill at the end of this year and uh, pull the fence in from 436 feet to, to 409, and, and that should be it for the hill. But uh, I like it. I, I think it's kind of cool, and it's uh, a unique thing that makes the ballpark a little different, but I know there's a lot of people who disagree. Oh, look, Brian, I really appreciate your time here today coming on the show with us here. Um, thanks very much for for giving us a few moments here on SEN Baseball and uh, good luck to yourself and good luck to the Astros for the rest of the season. Okay, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. Terrific. Stick with us, folks. Uh, look, you're listening to SEN Baseball. Baseball is the largest spectator sport in the world. In 2015 alone, over 73 million people attended professional games in the United States, with 65 million people playing in over 100 countries around the world. Baseball is the world's second largest participation sport. Baseball is truly a game that everyone can enjoy. It's free to try and cheap to play, but most importantly, it's fun for all. From t-ball and little league to seniors and masters, for the young and the young at heart, Baseball is the perfect game for boys and girls and moms and dads too. With over 105 local clubs in Victoria, get started by going to www.baseballvictoria.com.au to see how you can get involved today. And welcome back to SEN Baseball. We're now joined on the line by the 13th Australian to make it to the major leagues. He's played baseball all over the world, and we're going to hear a little bit about his career. Brad Thomas, how are you, mate? Good. Good morning. I'm uh, good, thank you. That's great, mate. Now, you, you, we've got Russell Spear in here, an old comrade of yours, I believe, from uh, from the disco days. But uh, on the on the baseball side of things, mate, you you've played in the US with the Detroit Tigers Major League. You've played in Japan. You've played in China. You've played in Korea. Really great life experience. What sort of highlights do you take away from that now and look back fondly on? Gee, the, the highlights of it, uh, there's quite a few actually. We were, I was pretty lucky to come through with quite some uh, good guys, even local uh, Melbourne boys, Michael Nakamura and things. We had some great times on some great teams and won some uh, fantastic championships, which were uh, you know, really the highlights of the career um, coming through. Uh, I think one of the good ones was uh, getting traded to the Boston Red Sox at one stage and, um, you know, getting a World Series ring and, and all that sort of stuff as well. And uh, while Michael and I were in Japan as well, we uh, we won the title over there in 2005. So 
some great highlights and playing with some of the best players that are, you know, Cy Young winners and all that sort of thing over the years have just been just been a brilliant experience. Now, Tomo, it's uh, Russell here, mate. Good morning. Hey, Russ. Good morning, uh, mate. Look, you, you, your career has been uh, has been amazing. I mean, you, you've travelled the world, you've played baseball, uh, you know, in all all sort of all all parts of the globe. Um, anywhere in particular, you would say that um, it was a favourite. I know MLB to to us growing up was always the goal, but I mean, you've you've done so well everywhere. Is uh, is there anywhere that that sits that sticks out that you say, well, you know, that that was probably my best time. Obviously, as you know, you know, any time you're in the MLB is, is just the, the greatest goal. It's, it's what you know you and I grew up um, dreaming of. You know, when we're playing for our you know state days back in the uh, head-to-head days. Um, I guess uh, playing in Asia is is a fantastic experience. Going to Japan, winning a title in Japan, um, where you are you know only one of a couple of foreigners on the team, and also in Korea, um, where the fans just—it's a national sport. The fans are there every night. It's incredible the way they treat you. And uh, it's just a beautiful experience in that respect. But really, any time you put on that MLB uniform, walk out and, uh, you know, into one of those big stadiums, that's, that's when you know you've, uh, you, you've reached all your goals. Brad, you were fortunate enough to be an Olympian in 2000 as well for uh, Australia in Sydney. Just wondering, as someone who's been an Olympian and played Major League Baseball, which one do you think carries more prestige? You know what? At the time, um, I, obviously being an Olympian back then, uh, I hadn't been in the major leagues yet, and it was still uh, my obviously growing up. Um, that was where I really wanted to be. So uh, it was it was one of those things where I still I, it was fantastic to walk out there in the stadiums, you know, representing my country, which we've we've done for many years. Of because um, any time you put on the green and gold, it's just a, a wonderful experience to be able to walk out there and represent your country. Um, it was a great experience, but really for me at that stage in my life, um, I just wanted to, to play in the big leagues and I was, I was willing to do anything to get there. So um, now I can look back on it. I mean, playing the Olympics was just one of those things along the line that was just one of those great experiences that you're with your you know, Aussie teammates that we grew up playing together. And, um, and there we were all, all putting on the green and gold and going out there representing our country. Now, Tomo, as, as kids, we had some wonderful battles along the way, um, yeah. all the way through these uh, state tournaments, even into pro ball. We played a lot of uh, uh, professional baseball against each other. Look, I was, I was always a little envious of, of the, uh, the, the three of you being uh, Michael Nakamura and uh, Grant Balfour and yourself, you guys with the Twins, um, going through the system. Look, uh, those, those, you know, being uh, the three of you, was did you find that a help or a bit of a hindrance? Because having, having uh, another Aussie on the team with me and Kim Ashworth, I found him a bit of a pain in the you-know-what. Um, <laughs> having Michael and Balfour known those boys quite well, um, was it, was it, was it uh, an advantage to you guys or do you think it was a slight disadvantage having so many Aussies on that, on that one club? I actually think that's what got us all through the major leagues. I really do. Um, I played with Ashley. Ashley, he was a, he was a roommate of mine, and, and he helped me uh, get through a lot of things early on. Um, but then when we moved over to uh, Minnesota and we had uh, Balf and Naki, I think it was one of those things. We, we pushed each other every day, and I think that's the difference between a lot of the young kids now, and uh, they don't realize what sort of hard work goes in. You know, our age group, mate, that, that you and I grew up in, we, we work our butts off and and really um, and strive, and, and, and we'll, we'll do whatever it takes to get what we want, um, essentially, which is essentially working hard. And uh, I remember days when the three of us were, uh, were at the gym, you know, after workouts, after spring training, when everyone else was probably out, you know, doing their thing. Um, and we were just working on being, becoming better baseballers. And I think through the whole system, coming up each level together, 
on the same teams. We just pushed each other, and we pushed each other on a daily basis, and we uh, we challenged each other. And I think that really helped us all um, reach the top. Brad, uh, just a couple of names mentioned there, being Grant Balfour, Michael Nakamura. Obviously, you're pretty tight back in the day. Do you still catch up with these guys? And why it comes to mind, of course, Grant Balfour just recently announced his retirement from professional baseball. Do you still keep in touch with those guys at all? Uh, we do. We, we, uh, I speak to Michael quite a bit on the phone. Um, you know, I spoke to him uh, often. And uh, Grant, obviously, living in America now. Um, don't get to see him as much, but when he does come home, uh, we've caught up at times, and you know they're they're just great guys that um, we we experience some amazing times on a on a sporting field together, and even off the field, you know, um, with with that friendship, being in a foreign country, coming to you know all all together and pushing each other to the top. I think uh, that's sort of a bond that that no one will ever break, and it'll never fall fall apart. But uh, we're all in different places in the in the, obviously Australia, Michael being down there, myself in Sydney, and. Uh, Grand in America, but it's it's just one of those friendships that, that that'll always be there. It's not too often you can say to a guy, "You were an elephant at one stage <laughs> in your career over in uh, over in Korea." That was in two thousand and eight. You went with thirty three saves in one hundred and twenty one hundred and twenty games. Uh, yeah. Was it was that era then? Was that about as good as you were throwing the baseball back then? That really, that really was a great year for me. Um, I, I'd come out of surgery in 2004, and I was told I'd never, never play baseball again. Um, I've, I lost all my cartilage in my elbow, pretty much. And Dr. Andrews in America said, "Well, time to find another, another job. You know, um, you'll never throw a baseball again." And I think by going to Asia, where they, they throw you in the game, and, and you're just a number, um, essentially, who's got to perform. Otherwise, I'll, I'll find somebody else. I'll pay you out and find somebody else. And I think that was one of those times when uh, over there, you just you get down to business and. Uh, um, we had the WBC earlier that year, and everything sort of just clicked. And I ended up putting a couple of good years in, which got me back to Detroit. So I went straight from Korea, straight back into the major leagues under a major league contract, uh, which was, um, you know, a great way to finish off really, uh, really my career with some, some, un, you know, to finish the business off that I really didn't get a chance to do earlier. We've just seen Warwick Southold make his major league baseball debut. Wondering if you could take us back to the memories of your debut. My debut? Well, it was a long time ago. Um, it was uh, back in Minnesota. I remember getting the call from uh, from Double A. Actually, skipped Double A. So I was there with Michael and McNamara and uh, Grant Balfour, and I got the call uh, when we were on the road and ended up flying about two or three flights, little puddle jumpers, back to get to Minneapolis. And uh, I tell you what, uh, putting on that uniform for the first time and walking out there was was an experience that I'll never forget. And my debut uh, was one of those things. You, I remember throwing. I was throwing pretty hard in those days, and I remember being pulled off the uh by a left-hand hitter uh fastball away being pulled off the the right field fence and it's like well you know sort of welcome to the big leagues kid here it is these, these guys are pretty good <laughs> wow that's unreal um Just, now tomo a uh, question for you are, are you are you actually retired are you done is it all over and done with mate yeah mate uh, yeah i'm done i'm done i'm uh it's one of those things i i retired uh a couple of years ago now when my my little boy was born yeah so he's two and a half now and uh that was one of the things uh as well as the the body, you know, I, I keep I play a little bit of club ball up here, so I, I enjoy it. Look, I, I, I seen your picture. I seen your pitch for Sydney. Was it two seasons ago? Now you pitch for Sydney. Was it that long ago? Two seasons? Yeah, I think I, I remember seeing. I remember calling games where you were up there uh, pitching. Brad would have been a couple of years ago, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would have been a couple of years ago. Now I'm just playing in the local sort of competition for uh, the oldest club that's up here in Sydney, Petersham, and uh, we got we're actually undefeated. So it's it's been a great. Uh, Great little experience. I'm enjoying it. Don't tell me you're still pitching. 
Man, I'm still out there. I've actually got about 30 scoreless going at the moment. So, God. <laughs> oh, I'm the oldest <laughs> club goer. It must put that on the mantle, mate. Put it to, take yeah, it to no, the pool room. I've got to keep it going tomorrow, so hopefully we can, uh, we can continue that. That's fantastic. And, and Brad, is there, is there any chance we'll see you in a, uh, in a uniform as, as a coach you know, here in Australia anytime soon? Someone with such, uh, such knowledge and, and had such a great career. Is there an opportunity that we get to uh, pick your brain on at that elite level here in Australia? You know what? It's, it's one of those things I'd love to get into when everything settles down in my life at the moment. Um, that'd be a fantastic thing. That's really what I want to do, just give back. I actually donate about four or five days a week um, coaching some local teams up here. And uh, both those teams are in the grand final against each other, actually. So it was a fantastic experience. Um, but yeah, it's something I'd love to do. I'd love to get into uh, you know, coaching, giving back that, that you know, that, that we were given uh, growing up from the, from the coaches and use that experience and pass it on to the next generation. I would uh, sorry, coach or managing. I would uh, I would absolutely love to see uh, blokes like you know yourself and and Knackers and and Balf and and Peter Moylan and all these guys that we've 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 got here and we're so fortunate to have to to be back in Australian uniforms teaching these kids uh, exactly the way you went about it because obviously it was a real successful period and 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 you guys uh, all did something very very right mate to have the have the careers you did. I, I think we worked harder than everybody else. I think that's what. It- what it comes down to it's, it's how much you want it it's like anything in life it doesn't matter what what your what your occupation is it's, it's how much you want it how much you're willing to give up for it and uh we were just three of those people that were um were like that and we uh gelled together and we pushed each other on a daily basis brad um you you touched on it made me think of something a moment ago where you were in the in the big leagues over in asia and then you went back and signed with the Tigers in the big leagues in America. I'm just interested in, as a pitcher, your approach to MLB hitters compared to Asian hitters. And why I'm asking is I've seen a lot of Asian hitters who really do just try and put the ball in play, whereas MLB guys a lot of the time will swing for the fence or strike out. Can you just talk about your approach to sort of, say, Asian hitters compared to MLB hitters? Definitely. Yeah, go, well, going back to the Tigers, I was uh, preceded with a uh, reputation of Australians, which Russ can answer for you at another time. And uh, going back there, though, from, from Asia, in Asia, you've got your uh, first couple of hitters in the lineup, you know, sort of uh, um, little, little slap hitters that, that make contact sort of thing. Whereas in the big leagues, almost everyone down the order can hit a, hit a home run, especially in the old, old days. Um, it was very different from the early uh, 2000s when I was up there compared to 2010 and 11 with Detroit. The, the game's changed a lot with the the home run power, but generally you've, you've got your two two big boppers in uh, in Asia, and the rest are sort of um, more more contact guys. Whereas back in America, I tell you what, those guys, uh, all of them can hit the ball out of the park at any time. Um, played with some unbelievable and against some uh, fantastic hitters, so it's it was um, it was a big difference, definitely a big difference. You got to change your game plan. Um, you got to control the ball, you know, in in the zone, out of the zone, sort of thing. Um, totally different to Asia, where you can sort of just challenge guys all the time. You've played around the world at a lot of different levels in a lot of different ballparks. Have you got a favorite ballpark that you've pitched in? Yeah, you know what? Any, anytime you, you step out into a, into a big league stadium, uh, some of those new stadiums now, I mean, going back to the Minneapolis days when we played in the Metrodome and walking out there in, in that new stadium they've built now is, is just incredible. Um, love Detroit. Uh, you know, every, every stadium, Boston, they, they all have their, their little intricacies that, that you just love about the, the field. So, um, you know, any time walking out onto any of those stadiums. When you go to Asia, you, I mean, you're talking full stadiums with bands playing for both teams, and there's never a silent moment in the game. So 
um, all the every stadium you're in. Anytime you got a uniform on, you know now now you look back on it after all these years. Anytime you got a uniform on is just a fantastic time. Brad, I'm, I'm sure you can appreciate what Warwick Southpold's going through at the moment, just having gone up with the Detroit Tigers. This one is something that has always interested me. Doesn't seem to get a lot of talk uh, at times. I'm interested in your rookie duty when you, when you first went when you first went up to the big leagues. They always get the rookies to perform something, a song and dance, whatever it may be. What was your rookie duty? <laughs> Oh, we've we've had uh you know over the years we've had some rookie my my rookie duty I remember uh um we were actually Grant and I were there together and we uh we dressed up we had to dressed up in Hooters gear and um so they they bought the whole Hooters outfit for us and Hooters uh, restaurant the the Hooters restaurant you know the, the what the girls wear with stockings and everything and I know uh, what the booby girls design. wear yes I know what they wear yeah so, something like delightfully tacky yet unrefined oh yeah yeah so we had to we had to walk out in front of all the fans sign autographs. Uh, we flew into Chicago, and then we had to walk downtown through Chicago to the Hooters where we ate, and had to serve people in the restaurant. So that that was one of those things. Uh, apart from carrying the uh, you know the pink backpack with uh, yeah. or the monkey or whatever down to the bullpen every day, like those are the other things you got to deal with. But uh, yeah, I mean, just great times with the boys. And at the end of the day, you look back on it and you go, you know what? That was so much fun. Um, so, yeah, yeah, he'd, he'd be having a great time, though, at the moment. And those sort of things that you do are just, you know, part of the fun along the way. Who, who actually decides what the duty may be? Is there, is there a, say, a leadership group amongst the team and they, and they draw out of a hat an option? Who decides? That... It'll, always, it'll always be the youngest, uh, you know, the, the guy with the least amount of time, uh, that sort of thing. Um, and also, at the end of the season, it's, it's all the rookies that, that'll have to go through the... Uh, you know the big, the big exercise. But generally, on the day-to-day sort of stuff, it's uh, it's the youngest, it's the youngest guy, or it's the one that um really uh maybe sticks his neck out a little bit too far sometimes, <laughs> and they rub it in a little bit. So yeah, it's one of those things. It all it all gets sorted out, and you get brought back to um you know uh you know what what it's all really about pretty quickly. Yeah, the, I've always fascinated in it because you know we can we can all lose our heads. I mean, if I if I played MLB baseball, mate, I would lose my mind. I, uh, you know, I wouldn't know what to do with myself. But I think it's a way of just keeping us keeping you all grounded. Um, I, I think it's a great thing what they do. And um, look, we're going to have to wrap it up there, Brad. But really appreciate your your time here today, coming on SEN Baseball. Uh, good luck with all your endeavours. Hopefully, what Spearsy said comes to fruition, which is getting into the coaching slash management side of things you, you've got a lot of experience to pass on mate but really appreciate you coming on uh the show today thanks very much for your time thank you guys thank you it's been great thanks Tom, mate. thanks russ See you, mate. as i have mentioned a couple of times a real tigers feel to what's going on today great to catch up with brad thomas about his career having traveled the world pitching all over the place hopefully we can see him out in a manager's role soon enough but just on the line now clubby's done a terrific job getting warwick southpold on the line Warwick, welcome to the show, mate. How are you going, guys? Thanks for having me. Congratulations, mate. You got the call up finally. You really threw the ball well at Toledo. Uh, what was your first experience like there going up to the major leagues? Yeah, I mean, it's a day I'll, I'll never forget. Um, and uh, definitely uh, it was a highlight um, for me. And um, there's a lot of fun out there. And um, it's was, it was a good, good start to hopefully a long career. And um, yeah, just looking forward to many more. Was Russell Spear here, mate. How are you? Good, mate. How are you? I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful. Now, was of the uh, as the feet hit the ground yet, mate, or is it still all a bit of a blur? 
no, definitely. Um, you know, that you know, it's, it was awesome, and um, you know, had the had the heart racing a little bit, but uh, now I'm just looking forward to getting out there um, over and over again, and, and keep trying to do my job. Is it? Uh, have you been able to get locked in pretty quick? I know it's probably um, quite a. Uh you know, there's a lot going on. It's a lot of distraction, I'm sure, going from, from AAA to the big leagues, getting the call up, the excitement, uh, getting in your first game, um, doing all these things. But were you able to get locked in pretty quick in that game or was it just a, a pure adrenaline outing? Uh, no, um, obviously you just got to put drink um, behind you and um, go out there and, and focus on what you have to do. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to get there on the on the Thursday and sit in the ballpark and watch Thursday's game and... Um, also Friday's game and kind of just experience it all um, from the bullpen. And then I was lucky enough to get the game on Friday. And, um, you know, the nerves were running a little bit before the game. Um, but once I started warming up and stuff like that and got out to the, to the mound, um, I actually just took a, took a step back and had a look around and, and took it all in and then uh, went to work. So no, I definitely um, nerves settled down a lot. Warwick, Xavier Player here. I'm just wondering if you could walk us through the moment that you got told that you were called up. Yeah, um, it was an interesting one. Um, me and my mate, uh, Jeff Ferrell, um, were heading out for dinner uh, after a day game in Toledo, and um, we are on the way back um, home, and uh, my phone rang, and it was a, it was a number from, uh, from Pittsburgh, and I didn't have it in my phone, so... I kind of answered the call, and uh, it was Lloyd McClendon. He's like, hey, it's uh, Skipper here. Um, just letting you know that uh, tomorrow you'll be on a plane to the big leagues. Congratulations. And uh, I kind of thought somebody was playing a trick on me and stuff like that. And he's like, look, when I get off the phone, the trainer's going to call you and, and give you more information. So uh, I hung up the phone, and next thing you know, the, the trainer rings me and, and gives me flight details, and then it, my legs started shaking a little bit. And, um, and then I was uh, on a plane in the morning from Detroit to Baltimore, so... Yeah, it was a, an awesome phone call. We did have you on a couple of weeks ago, Warwick, and you said the first call would be to, to family and uh, your girlfriend and the like. Um, were you? Did you make that call straight away? I did notice some photos of mum in the crowd with her Australian flag. It said it took her 25 hours to get there. Was that right? She got there in time for your first appearance? Yeah. Uh, yeah, she... she took on the uh, journey and uh, after I received the phone call I, uh, when I kind of settled down a little bit and things were kind of calm and I could actually speak, speak and I was speechless for a while and gave mum a call and two, two hours later she, uh, she was on a plane to Sydney so she made quick work of it and uh, uh, couldn't, be, couldn't be more prouder to have her here for, uh, for my debut. How was it having some teammates around when you got the news and what was their reaction like? Oh, they were pumped for me. Uh, I mean, I played all through the minor leagues with, with Jeff Farrell, and I was I was lucky enough to be with him last year and um, watch him do what he did uh, in Double A and then and get called up to the big league. So, um, you know, he's been through it. So he was pumped for me, and we were actually FaceTiming uh, a couple of teammates in that are in Double uh, A Erie. So they were uh, on the on the line too when when I got called. So uh, it was cool, and they were all pumped for me because you know we all. Play, play this game for the same reason and uh, you know we want to help the Tigers win a World Series uh, So far Warwick you're able to get a, a win in your second appearance really terrific performance what has been the, the from your point of view say the notable difference between that AAA level hitters to the big league level hitters uh, just you don't get away with mistakes 
um, very often. Um, you know, they'll make you pay if you make a bad pitch um, or if you miss location. And they do it pretty consistently too. So um, that's definitely the, the biggest part. Um, and these guys are, you know, are very, very good hitters and that's why they're up here and uh, they're at the, the highest peak of, of baseball. And, um, yeah, they're just very, very smart hitters. Now, was on a personal level, um, I was fortunate enough to uh, play with the Tigers. I want to know if my man Doug Teeter's still floating around, and how is he? Mate, it's a, it's funny. It's uh, actually funny you say that. We we're actually just talking of talking about you in the, uh, the weight room just before uh, I was getting a stretch, and he's like, "How's Russell Spears doing?" I was like, "Oh, Spears, he, yeah, I haven't spoke to him for a while, but um, yeah, it was actually coincidence that you're that you're on the line right now because we're actually talking about you. He, he's doing well, mate. He's uh, he's an absolute champion. He is a wonderful, wonderful man. I was, I was telling these guys a story off off air before how we were kicking the footy in my one of my rehab stints, one of my many unfortunate rehab stints, and he uh, and he did an Achilles. So you'll have to bring that one up. I'm sure it'll stir up some uh, uh, very fond will. memories. It was actually nice because uh, old Liam Hendricks was out here kicking the Sharon today with uh, his North Melbourne jersey on. So, <laughs> um, that was, was kind of cool to see. Isn't that a beautiful thing in America to see a, uh, see a Sharon get thrown around the place? Oh, absolutely, mate. I miss you. you know, I unfortunately missed the uh, the football season, but I uh, try and keep to update. And right now, I'm trying to avoid to, to, to look at the AFL ladder because my team's uh, winless and it's not looking good for yeah, us. Yeah, so your Dockers are struggling, and, mate. Uh, yeah, I know. It's not, it's not good times in down in Fremantle, so hopefully we can put it together in the second half. Uh, Warwick, look, uh, we know you're on a busy schedule, mate. We really appreciate you taking some time out for us here, straight off batting practice. Got a big series coming up against the Oakland A's. And uh, make sure you pat Liam Hendricks on the back for in that North Melbourne jumper. Go Ruse. But I uh, really appreciate you giving us a couple of minutes here, mate. Good luck for the rest of the season and uh, go get them. No, any time, guys. Thanks for having me. And thanks to Warwick Southpole there, as I said, just in between batting practice there, taking on the Oakland Athletics in a series there. But that's all we've got time for today. Really appreciate you guys coming on. Thank you, Russell Spear. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Pete Giles. Great thank, to have you. Thank you once again. And uh, that's all we have for today. Uh, you're listening to SEN Baseball. Thanks for listening to the SEN MLB podcast. For more SEN America podcasts, head to sen.com.au. To keep up to date with the latest American sports news and interviews from around SEN, follow SEN America on Twitter at SEN America and on Facebook at facebook.com slash SEN America. You're getting ready to go out. You want to get in the mood. There's a playlist for that. You move to the beat. You trip over the dog. You're not dancing anymore. You open the Medibank app and find a physio. We live in an on-demand world. And now your health insurance comes on demand too. Download the new Medibank app today.